Well, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, whatever time of day it is when you may tune in. This is Minister Kay Mortimer with Covenant Truth Ministries, and this is today's episode. We are in the book of Revelation, and today we are going to be in Revelation chapter 3. We're going to read about the fourth church, the church in Sardis, in Revelation chapter 3. And so I'd like to begin by reading these verses, verses 1 through 6 about this this church in Sardis and the letter that Jesus is dictating to this body. Revelation chapter 3, verse 1. And to the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things says he who has the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. I know your works, that you have a name, that you are alive, but you are dead. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. For I have not found your works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, how you have received and heard. Hold fast and repent. Therefore, if you will not watch, I will come upon you as a thief, and you will not know what hour I will come upon you. You have a few names, even in Sardis, who have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He who overcomes shall be clothed in white garments, and I will not blot out his name from the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So today we're going to look at the church in Sardis. And we remember we are in the book of Revelation, which is the summation and the complete testimony of Jesus Christ. It wraps up everything remaining. We've seen the risen Lord in chapter one. We saw the outline for the book in chapter one, and we are now in the time of the church age, so to speak. And we are exploring the letters that Jesus had included in this book for all the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, even till today, to read. And so we've seen four churches so far. We looked at Ephesus. Their problem was that they were too busy with the business of the king to steal away and spend time with Jesus. So they needed to return to the simplicity of a love relationship with the Lord. Then we saw Smyrna. Smyrna was the faithful church, the persecuted church, the one who was enduring. And he says, continue to be faithful until the end. Pergamus was the compromising church, and we learned from that that we are not to compromise in any way. Thyatira is the corrupt church, and we saw where God will have no corruption, and we must avoid all of that and be pure before him. So today we're looking at the fifth church, the church of Sardis. Sardis had been an ancient capital of the kingdom of Lydia in Asia Minor. It was located about 30 or 32 miles southeast of Thyatira. It was watered by the river Pactolus that had golden sands, they called it. It was a town also given over to idolatry and paganism. They worshiped other gods such as the Roman Caesar and Artemis or Diana. The products that they would sell in their economy and so forth was gold, wool, dye, and fruits. 
And tradition indicates that this church may have actually been started by the apostle John. So in verse one, Jesus speaks to this church and the title that he uses is that he holds the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Now, what does that mean? Well, the seven stars, we've already been told in Revelation chapter one, verse 20, that these are the angels of the seven churches. That word could represent the angels or it could represent pastors of those churches. That's who he's talking about here. He's the one that owns, possesses, has those, has control or influence over those. The seven spirits of God, don't get confused about this. It is talking about the Holy Spirit in his fullness. The fullness of the sevenfold representation or fullness of the Holy Spirit. It's given to us in Isaiah chapter 11. In Isaiah chapter 11, I want to read verses 1 and 2. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, and a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and might, the spirit of knowledge and of the fear of the Lord. So it's this sevenfold fullness of the spirit of God that is spoken of here. The prophet Zechariah confirms this in Zechariah chapter 3, and I want to read verses 8 and 9. Hear, O Joshua, the high priest, you and your companions who sit before you, for they are a wondrous son. For behold, I am bringing forth my servant, the branch, the same one that we just read about in Isaiah 11, verse 9 of chapter 3 of Zechariah. For behold, the stone that I have laid before Joshua Upon the stone are seven eyes. Behold, I will engrave its inscription, says the Lord of hosts, and I will remove the iniquity of that land in one day. These seven eyes, these seven spirits of God represent the sevenfold fullness of the Holy Spirit of God. So this is the title that he speaks to this church. He says, I know your works, the actual deeds in their truth. He says, you have a name. In other words, you have a reputation. You have, you're known as being alive, but it's truly in reality, in name only, because you are dead. You are lifeless. The word is necros, and it means literally dead or lifeless. This is really talking about them being spiritually dead and fruitless. It's a fruitlessness that he's addressing here. They claim to know the Lord, but there's no true fruit coming from this. It may be experiential. It may be in, you know, some other form, but they have no real valid fruit. I've heard a saying from my olden childhood days that says this, it's not how high you swing from the chandelier, but how straight your feet walk when you hit the ground that matters. In other words, you can have all kinds of experiences, but what really matters is your walk. Are you living the life that's worthy of the Lord? Are you truly bearing him fruit? Are you truly walking in Jesus Christ and in the spirit of the Lord? And they were not. They were lifeless. 
They were not really connected to the vine. Let's look at John chapter 15. In John chapter 15, I want to read verses 1 through 8. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that bears fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He who abides in me, and I in him, bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is cast out as a branch and is withered. And they gather them and throw them into the fire and they are burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. By this my Father is glorified that you bear much fruit, so you will be my disciples. So life only comes when we are abiding in the vine of Jesus. And this was a lifeless church. They were not abiding in the vine. They were not abiding in the Lord. They were not sincerely serving him and alive in him. And it came forth because there was no fruit. They were fruitless. They were dead. Yet he gives a call to repentance and instruction to them. He says, be watchful, keep awake. In other words, get woken up from your sleep. Now, I want to clarify this because today we have a phrase going around that is called woke. This is not at all what Jesus is talking about. Avoid that. Get away from that. That is not from the Spirit of the Lord, and it is not in occurrence and in obedience to the Word of God. There are half-truths involved in that, but it is not from the Spirit of the Lord. We need to be awake in Jesus, awake to his word, awake to his service, awake to the times in which we are living and understanding that the day is now when the Lord will come back and he is coming for a pure and spotless bride, one that is awake, one that is clean, one that is watching for him. So he's telling them, to wake up, get alert and watchful. And in a moment, you will understand more about this as we look at the rest of what he's saying to the church in Sardis and understand its Jewish roots involved in this. I want to read first in Romans chapter 13, verse 11 through 14. And do this, knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lusts. So Paul also gives us these instructions to be awake, to wake up, be alert 
to the day in which we are living, be alert to the deceptions that are about so that we will not follow those. We will not be led astray. We will keep our focus on Jesus Christ and run our race, keeping our eyes on him, the author and the finisher of our faith. Now, what Jesus is really addressing with the church in Sardis goes back to the watch of the night and the watchers that were involved in the temple in the service of the Lord, the Levites and the priests that were to be on guard during the night watches. And I want to get into that in just a moment. He says here in this, he says, be watchful. He also says, strengthen the good things, the things of God that remain. Now, when he uses this word remain, he also says they're ready to die. In other words, they're on their course to have a settled future and an expectation they're going to die. In a sense, they're on basic life support right now is what he's saying. And he's talking about the remnant, the remnant of the good things of God that they had received and learned and heard. They are just about to die because they have neglected them. They're not connected to the vine. They're lifeless. And these things, these few little things that remain, it's like that faint heartbeat that remains or whatever. It's on life support. It's barely breathing, barely alive. That's what Jesus is saying. And he says, basically, you get an F on your report card. Your works are not perfect before God. They are not satisfactory. You have not fully discharged your duties. And so he tells them, he says, call to memory. Call to memory the things that you did receive and hear, the good things of God. Call to memory those things from the Lord that you had earlier received that used to be alive, but are now barely even breathing, so to speak. He says, hold fast. Here again, it's the word for guard or watch over. And he tells them to repent. Do a 180. This is encouraging because even in this dead church, there is hope for them to recover. It reminded me of a scripture in Job chapter 14. Now I want to read it, verse 7 through 9. For there is hope for a tree, if it is cut down, that it will sprout again, and that its tender shoots will not cease, though its root may grow old in the earth, and its stump may die in the ground. Yet at the scent of water it will bud and bring forth branches like a plant. Job is describing here a tree that has almost nothing left that is alive. It's pretty much dead and rotting. And yet he says, there's hope for that tree at the scent of water. Do you see the water is the washing of the water of the word of the living God? The water can represent the Holy Spirit as well. There is place for repentance, even to someone who has become dead and is on life support right now, barely even living for the Lord. There's hope. You can repent. You can do a 180. You can be revived to life again. That's good news, even to a dead church and a lifeless church. 
he gives them a warning. He says, there's a very serious danger. If you do not repent, Jesus says, I will come as a thief in the night at an unexpected time when you are not expecting me, you are not looking for me. Now, I want us to understand the concept here in this whole church and all that he's telling this church. It goes back to the days when the Jewish temple was in service and the Levites and the priests were serving in the temple. At night, there would be certain designated ones that were charged with locking the gates and charged with watching overnight. They were the guardians. They were the ones to watch and guard the temple. And so that you can understand this the best way, I want to read a short passage from the Temple Institute's website. And it says this, The sages of the Mishnah provide a vivid description of the nightly routine in the Holy Temple with regard to these watches and the manner in which they were rendered. Each night, the supervisor of all the watches patrols the Temple Mount, inspecting each and every watch. Burning torches are born before him in order for the guards to recognize that it is he. And if perchance he encounters a watchman who does not rise up before him, the supervisor cries out to him, peace be unto you. But if the supervisor receives no reply, it is obvious that the guard has been caught asleep. He would then wrap the sleeping Levite, with his stick, the supervisor was even empowered to set his covering on fire as a punishment for not carrying out his duty properly. Everyone within earshot who heard the cries of the unfortunate sleeper would say, What is that noise in the court? Oh, it is the sound of a Levite who has been wrapped and his covering set alight, for he has fallen asleep on his watch. This is, generally speaking, the Jewish concept from which we can understand what Jesus is saying to this church. So this church had fallen asleep on the job. They were sleeping on the job. They were not being serious about the Lord. They were not staying awake and alert. They were not watching. They were not guarding what they had. They were not making sure they stayed alive in the vine and bearing fruit. They were fruitless. They were lifeless. They were asleep and dead. But notice that there's hope even in this dead church. Some, there was a remnant, a minority, that had not defiled their garments. In other words, they were the ones that when that supervisor would come around, they would respond and they might, they would respond back to him and they might say something like, you know, peace be to you too, or stand up or whatever to acknowledge that supervisor that caught them on their watch and they were actually watching. They were not asleep, they were alert. They had not defiled their garments. The ones who defiled their garments were the ones that had fallen asleep. And so he comes by and he hits them with his stick. 
and he has to, you know, or can set their garment on fire to alert them and to wake them up. So Jesus is saying there's a few that still don't have defiled garments. They're awake and alert on the job. They are watching and they are guarding. And he says, the promise to them is, you will walk with Jesus. You will walk with me in white, in beautiful, pure white garments. We're going to get on this, Lord willing, later in Revelation, in Revelation chapter 19, but I want to read it right now. In Revelation 19, verses 7 and 8, it says this, Let us be glad and rejoice and give him glory, for the marriage of the Lamb has come, and his wife has made herself ready. And to her it was granted to be arrayed in fine linen, clean and bright, for the fine linen is the righteous acts of the saints. So these are the ones that will walk with Jesus in white, in these beautiful fine linen white garments that are clean and bright. They are the ones who are deserving because of their faithful service. They executed their duties fully. They stayed awake. They stayed alert. They stayed active and watching and guarding and serious. They did not fall asleep or become dead, lifeless, and fruitless. He gives a promise to the overcomer in this church. He says, you will be clothed with white. They're again referring to those beautiful, bright, clean linen garments that this bride and these faithful servants are granted to be arrayed in. And he says he will not blot out their name or erase it from the book of life. They will not obliterate it from the book of life. Generally speaking, in Revelation, the book of life is referring to the Lamb's book of life. Even Moses had spoken of this because Moses even was willing in a prayer to have his name blotted out on behalf of the people in one of his intercessions. I want to read verse in Acts chapter 3, verse 19. It says this, Repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. This is that same word that John uses in Revelation 3, giving them a warning and declaring that to the overcomer, they will not be blotted out of the book of life. Here, it's talking about your sins being erased, washed out, wiped away, completely gone. Peter is preaching here and he says that. Repent, be converted, that your sins be blotted out. Not your name, your sins be blotted out. So that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. So it's talking about being erased. And the promise to the overcomer is your name will not be erased. The flip side of that at least gives an indication that some could be erased from the book of life. Now I'll leave that as it is, but here the promise to the overcomer is that their name will not be blotted out from the book of life. He also tells them here that he will personally confess their name before God the Father and the holy angels.
he will verify before God and attest to their true and faithful service. He gives the call, of course, to the open ear, to those who will have an open ear and receive the word and receive the correction and receive the instruction that he gives through this letter. Sardis represents the dead church, the sleeping church, the church in name only, perhaps in our day even the apostate church, the church that has departed, the church that is in name only but has no real life inside. Paul spoke of this kind of church in Second Timothy. In Second Timothy, I want to read verses 1 through 5. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasures, rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness, but denying its power, and from such people turn away. This is that kind of church. Denying the power, having the form, having the name, having the appearance of being godly, being vibrant, being spiritually alive, but denying its power. And Paul says, from such turn away. Turn away from them. Be alert. Be faithful. And I want to close with these last few scriptures because we are living in that day, beloved friend, that Paul just spoke about. And we need to be watchful and be careful that we are not caught asleep on the job. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verses 1 through 4. But concerning the times and the seasons, brethren, you have no need that I should write to you. For you yourselves know perfectly that the day of the Lord so comes as a thief in the night. For when they say peace and safety, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pangs upon, upon a pregnant woman, and they shall not escape. But you, brethren, are not in darkness, so that this day should overtake you as a thief. Because you're in the light, you're awake. You're awake in the light, watching on guard, alert. Second Peter 3, verse 10 through 13 says this, But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness? looking for and hastening, which means urging on, the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. And lastly, I want to close with the words of Jesus himself that are applicable and important for us to pay attention to, heed, and obey this day in which we are living. Matthew chapter 24, 
verses 42 through 44 say this. Watch therefore, for you do not know what hour your Lord is coming. But know this, that if the master of the house had known what hour the thief would come, he would have watched and not allowed his house to be broken into. Therefore, you also be ready, for the Son of Man is coming at an hour you do not expect. Beloved friend, from the church in Sardis, we learn this. Do not be caught asleep on the job. Be on your guard. Be watchful. Be faithful right up to the end, watching and looking for the Lord to return and expecting he is coming. But you do not know the day or the hour, just like those watchmen on their post at the temple. They didn't know when the supervisor was going to come around during the night. And if they were found sleeping on the job, they suffered for it. Beloved friend, it's days where we must be serious. We must be awake. We must be alert. Stay awake and be watchful. I pray that this has been a blessing to you. And Lord willing, you can join us again for future episodes. God bless you in Jesus' name. Amen.